When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And welcome to a brand new life, to a brand new day, all the way from the wastelands of California. My name is Michael, and I am a mere figment of your imagination. I look forward to once again serve you those conscious coma-inducing vibrations. First-time listeners, turn on, tune in, and drop out. This is a very different kind of show, a place where you don't feel so alone. Let us chase away the light no matter what you at home choose to believe. I do admire you for your curiosity. Joining me tonight is Jason Jarrell. He is an investigative historian, archaeologist, and a public speaker. His studies include philosophy, mythology, religion, and psychology. He is a frequent guest on numerous radio shows focused on ancient history, cultural studies, and politics. He also appeared on the very popular TV show, Ancient Aliens. Once again, thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for allowing me into your hearts and into your minds. Here we are again on a night like this. Always an honor and pleasure to be here. Thank you to those listening here in America and those who listen outside of America. Thank you for your great support. How's it going, everyone? Glad you found the program. I know there's a number of newer listeners now, and I appreciate you guys and girls for joining us here tonight. I want to thank everyone out there, by the way, for listening to the last episode alive. I was experiencing a lot of trouble, and so was James Fetzer. Now moving forward, so I do want to thank you for being a part of the program, Jason. Welcome aboard. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Oh, yes. Now, I'm curious to know how all of this began for you. Well, actually, it it began when I was really young because my mother insisted on teaching me to read early, and... In order to do so, she knew that she would need material that would fascinate a young boy. And that material ended up being an encyclopedia of ancient Egypt, um, several comic books about ancient adventures, and the Holy Bible. So early on, almost immediately, I had a, a deep interest in ancient mythology ancient cultures and peoples from around the world, and especially in things like ancient giants. Um, I found it very interesting to note when, when I was a young kid that most of the ancient cultures and peoples around the world wrote about giants in a historical context and, and rather than a a purely mythological context, because a lot of these cultures distinguish between mythology and actual history, and the giants were always a part of uh, of both. So eventually, over time, I became involved in political activism and, and different things like that. I had several academic disciplines that I studied in my background, including depth psychology and comparative religion, philosophy. And when I met my wife, Sarah, she also was a truth seeker. And when we met, we began to share all kinds of ideas for different subjects. And uh, together, we started researching giants again. And of course, by then, it was the internet age. And so there was a lot more material at our disposal. And when we moved to West Virginia about nine years ago, we did some research and found that we were living on top of the site of a former burial mound of the Adena culture. And 
of course, you know, thanks to some work that had been done by Ross Hamilton back in the late 90s, I knew that the Adena culture was one of the cultures in North America that had giants among them, the tall ones among them. And so we started doing some research in local archives and buying up books on archaeology, mainstream archaeology publications and uh, things like that. And before long, we had launched what I believe is probably the most thorough investigation on this subject in North America that's been done up to this point. Yeah, of course, your book. Very interesting book, by the way. And how long did that take for you to write? Well, the book took about eight and a half years. And the reason for that is uh, it went through several formats before I was happy with, with the way it turned out. It was several different types of books before I settled on the way that the book came out. But the other reason is we wanted to follow up on every possible site that we could and find primary archaeological documentation for these people. In other words, what I'm trying to say is that the the newspaper archives of gigantic discovery, that, that was not enough for us. We wanted to be able to double-check those sites and see if there were actual excavation reports for many of the, any of the sites that are mentioned in the press archives, and indeed there are primary archaeological reports that confirm many of them. Some of them actually are debunked by the primary sources, and that's fine, too. That's what we what we would expect. So we had to be thorough, and probably about four years of this research was me giving myself a university-quality self-education in archaeology. Right. I have rounded up every textbook on archaeology and uh, current archaeological theory and every large volume and, and even the smallest report that I could possibly find published on any of the, the cultures that I was studying for the book. So that took a long time also. So put all that together and, and you've got something that ended up being a monumental effort um, it was very time-consuming, and it was uh, there was one point where I think I was working 14 hours a day on it. Oh my! Yeah, you spent a lot um, of hours into this then. Well, when you very early on, we realized that this this was a real mystery. Um, there were several mainstream archaeological publications that mentioned the tall ones, and when we found some of those, we realized that this was a real mystery. But it's also a mystery that's had a lot of other concepts that really don't belong with it heaped on top of it. And if you're going to try to get to the truth in a situation like this, you really have no choice but to to be willing to invest the time and the finance that it takes to really explore every nook and corner. Yes, and of course, that's the book, Ages of the Giants. I forgot to mention that early on here. I apologize for that. And where can you find it on Amazon? It's available right now on lulu.com. That's L-U-L-U.com. Um, and you can actually read a lot of our published work for free on our website, paradigmcollision.com. And there's a link to buy the book on our website as well. I think eventually, within the next several weeks, several other distributors are supposed to pick the book up. Ah, I see. So, but for now, it's uh, primarily available on Lulu. That's probably a better platform. Well, it's a great platform because it's not like anyone's going to object to anything you have to say or, yeah. or how you want your own book formatted. You know, I, for example, in Ages of the Giants, it's loaded with over 400 scientific references. So. When it came to referencing the text, I didn't want to use the same standard reference system. Otherwise, the uh, the general public is going to pick up a book and see nothing but a bunch of names and dates scattered through every page. So when you go through an independent platform, you can even format your book the way that you want to without worrying about anything. So it's really cool. Yes, and also you mentioned psychology. Um, mm -hmm. wh where did that interest come about? Well, any time that you have an interest in the symbolism of religions, like ancient world religions, psychology ends up sort of creeping into the mix. 
what a lot of people don't realize is that although psychology today has been completely taken over with the pill, with the prescription drug. Oh, yes. Uh, it wasn't that long ago that psychology was a major philosophical inquiry. Um, and really, one of the last great philosophers of our age, Carl Jung, was a philosopher. And it was Jung who pioneered the symbolism of human consciousness to, to try and interpret the different aspects of human consciousness and thought that are represented in commonly held symbols around the world. And so really my, my own interest in psychology came from my interest in world religion and, and the history of religion. Yes, I was just curious where that had came from and... And now I have a pretty solid answer. And, of course, you must also be interested in dreams then. Well, I am to a degree. I've um, there, there was a time earlier on in my intellectual development when I was, was a lot more interested in them than I am now. Um, unfortunately, what happens when you begin to utilize archaeology and anthropology to start producing books and articles and things like that, a lot of things tend to fall by the wayside. Uh, but, um, yeah, I, I've actually, I believe that probably anything that could happen or ever will happen is dreamed on this planet every night. Uh, it's, uh, it's a fascinating concept. It truly is. It truly is. And the ancients also knew the importance of one's dreams. Well, one of the fascinating things that I found researching Ages of the Giants, the book, the book has several chapters that are just devoted to explaining the ancient cultures that buried the tall ones in their tombs. And these cultures are the legacy. Uh oh, I might have, might have lost you there for a second. Well, we have strange things happen on this line all the time. Oh my. But, um, you, we were talking about dreams and things dreams, like that. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's really interesting how when you look at cultures that came before us or people who came before us in the world, before Western civilization, I mean. Correct. Um, or if you look at people before Western civilization came to them, like the Native Americans, you'll find that almost universally human beings used to see themselves as living in an inhabited cosmos. And today we have sort of a, a barrier that we perceive existing between uh, things that may be considered supernatural and things that are natural. But this barrier is an artificial construct that was really invented by the dualistic way of thinking that we inherited from the Roman Empire. And it, it's something that becomes apparent when you study the cosmologies of just about every ancient people around the world. Yeah, they were very interested in the stars and the sun and many of these sites we have here, these sacred mounds, they also exist all throughout Europe. Uh, very interesting enough. Well, the burial mounds, the burial mounds in the Ohio Valley, first of all, the oldest mound building culture that is acknowledged in the Ohio Valley is the Adena culture. The, the conventional dating puts them at around 500 BC in in the book, we suggest that they, the culture may be as old as 1100 or 1200 BC, but the, the burial mounds of this culture in were Ohio, right. caused in the Ohio Valley. Yeah. They, they are cosmograms because the cosmos that these people perceived themselves living in consisted of three realms, an above realm, a middle realm or middle earth, and an underworld, which was usually conceived of as a watery place inhabited by great serpents or dragons. And connecting all three of these realms was a great mountain or axis mundi. And so when they buried their dead in an artificial mound, it was a replication of that axis mundi or world tree. And the, the high priests or the shaman in all likelihood, perceive themselves as manipulating the destination of the souls of the dead in the realms beyond this one through the various rites that they performed with the deceased when they were interred in, in these mounds. So the earthworks themselves are cosmograms. They represent 
the worldview or the cosmos that these ancient Americans believed that they inhabited. You've also been on the program Ancient Aliens. To be honest with you, I, I can't believe that show has been going on for as long as it has. I, I thought they might have, like, ran out of material already. It seems like they covered everything. No, they everything. probably should have. They probably should have run out by now, but when you're free to invent whatever material you need, how can you run out? That, well, correct. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm you with know, you on that one. They they contacted me in 2016 because they wanted to talk to someone who actually knew something about the large skeletons that were found in these burial mounds, the Adena mounds, and they were looking for someone who would give them the cold, hard facts without any embellishments or gold dust attached to it, you know. And we kind of have a reputation, Sarah and I, uh, as really revealing the reality behind the myth of these giants. And so in agreement with them, you know, I explained to the producers that to go on the show, they would need to understand that I personally don't believe in extraterrestrials. But... They were very honest with us. They really did want the actual details of, of what's actually been recovered from the mounds, and that really impressed me a great deal uh, because I know that a lot of people that move in those circles are looking for pure sensationalism, but the particular producers that we worked with, they wanted the, um, they wanted the reality of this situation, and the reality is the tall ones in North America were a – subpopulation that existed among other Native Americans who usually ranged between seven and eight feet in height with occasional members reaching as tall as nine feet. But the reports that mention skeletons larger than that, we found that almost all of them um, were, were misreported, mismeasured, or were outright frauds. But the accounts which we were able to verify um, suggest the height ranges that I just mentioned. They also were not a specific race. A lot of people believe that there was a race of giants in North America. In actuality, they were members of populations, the majority of, of whom were of average stature. Another interesting fact regarding the tall ones is that they were not all elites. There are burials of tall ones that are lavishly furnished with exotic artifacts, and then there are some with no artifacts whatsoever. And um, if we look at the archaeological theory that exotics could indicate some type of important social role, then that means that sometimes they had important social positions and sometimes they did not. Um, and so that's that's really the reality that we were able to reach by studying the actual archaeological data. Yes, and a lot of this goes undermined and underappreciated, in my opinion. Uh, not not lots of people actually take any time to really understand the American Indians out here in North America. It's well, you know, I believe that the American Indian has, at some point in American history. Um, been deliberately targeted uh, to, to become a subject of which we are largely ignorant for the reason that they may represent lifeways or patterns of living which contradict the sort of corporate plantation paradigm that Americans have accepted in, in the recent age. There's, there are a lot of walls thrown up between the Native American community and people of Western descent. And they keep us in ignorant not only about prehistoric cultures, but also about living traditions as well. You know, one thing that's always fascinated me was uh, human origins. And that leads me to ask you, do you believe the Earth is as old as scientists claim it to be? Mm. Well, that's a good question. I'll tell you that although I do consider what what we do to be scientific inquiry, I do not trust scientism, and today we are living in the age of scientism where science has become this oracle, like the oracle of ancient Greece, and it's like the priests are telling the oracle what to say, usually in support of some 
scientific or political agenda. Uh, for example, independent studies are telling us constantly that vaccination is a terrible idea, and yet the mainstream oracle of science is always reminding us to get our vaccinations every year. For flu season, we must vaccinate our children. Um, so we're really living in a time when although we have the information age, it's almost as if, you know, everyone has the potential to use science on their own, but we still have a scientific priesthood, and I have a very difficult time trusting them. So to return to your question, with regards to the age of the earth, I don't believe that anyone knows for sure. And I know that sounds like a disappointing answer, but it shouldn't be discouraged. Well, let's look at it this way. We as human beings, we need to accept, I believe, that there are some mysteries that we can never really solve. Right. And when you meet the man or woman who tells you that they can solve every mystery and answer every question, that, my friend, is the person you should be afraid of. Because, I agree. Mm, that person is disturbed. You know, we have sort of an alliance of technology and scientism today in the, in the 21st century that if we're to believe what they tell us from one day to the next, they, they're going to answer every question. You know, right. The and form that's, of that, that's pretty pretentious. Yes. And well, many people aren't aware of, for example, the way that the theory of evolution became an academic dogma. You know, in the in the beginning, evolution was kind of looked upon as a joke. Right. If you go back and you look at what the majority of scientists said about Darwin's studies, you know, he was kind of considered um, a mad hatter or, or a fruit loop. And then what happened was a skeleton was found that is called Piltdown Man. It was found in, in England. And Piltdown Man was supposedly the missing link between man and ape. Right. And for 40 years, over 40 years, this scientific discovery was considered proof of the Darwinian paradigm and it was at that point that the Darwinian paradigm became enshrined in universities and academia. But then it was eventually proven to be a fraud. However, after it was proven to be a fraud, the institution did not reorganize itself. It simply kept the theory of evolution enshrined, even though the central pillar of the theory had been proven to be fraudulent. And going back to... Uh, extraterrestrials, you mentioned that you don't uh, believe in that sort of concept. Can you uh, elaborate uh, just a little bit? Well, I have a really difficult time uh, believing anything that comes from theosophists, occultists, or NASA. Ah, um, understood. And, and um, I'm, not going, I'm not going to say that there is not something going on, because clearly there is. It just so happens that my belief is that it may be something that's more ultra-dimensional or extra-dimensional than it is extraterrestrial. I think the um, the obsession with extraterrestrial life has blinded us from being able to study these phenomena uh, without subjecting it to certain criteria. And because of that, I think we're making a big mistake. Also, it's very plain to me that the concept of extraterrestrial contact in the ancient past is becoming a religion of its own in the modern age. It's almost as if materialism has abolished our Christianity in the West, and so we're turning to the E.T. enthusiasts to tell us what to do with God. You know, I sort of and, blame ancient aliens for that. They've really upped the popularity in all, all these uh, subjects. Well, it's not an accident. I can I can assure you of that. If you were to look into who owns Prometheus Studios, which actually produces Ancient Aliens, I think you'd be really interested um, in which families actually run that that studio, finance that studio. It's the same people who, coincidentally enough, were trying to discover the ruins of the Tower of Babel back oh, in really? the night. Yeah, yeah. The oh, in wow. fact, it's. The same family that financed the expedition that discovered the largest mound field in the world 
on the island of Dilmun in the Persian Gulf where the Babylonian elites buried their kings and their gods. Um, so there's a long history of people who have sought to condition our perspective of our own history, and it probably goes back further than a simple investigative historian like myself can trace it. But it, it's also very important to me, and if I could if I could advise people to look into at least one thing with regards to this subject. Um, if you were to look at the life story of Aleister Crowley, yes. who was one of the greatest magicians and occultists who ever lived, possibly the greatest magician who ever lived, Crowley, near the end of his life, decided that the gods he dealt with in magical ritual were not just symbolic beings, but that they were actual living entities from another world. And he predicted that someday they would stop calling them angels and gods and demons and start referring to them as something else. And it is my opinion that that something else is is now what we call the ancient astronaut enthusiast. Uh, so... This is a subject that I think should be approached with a great deal of caution. Yeah. You know, just because. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. Sorry. Well, I was just going to add that just because a lot of people who may be very well educated say something doesn't mean that it's true. And it's interesting that you brought you brought that up. Uh, many others have mentioned how these gray aliens are possibly demons, perhaps. So you're you know you're not the first one to say that. Well, even going beyond. The, the traditional concept of the gray alien, a good many of the people who've reported having experiences, uh, abductions, I believe they call it the abduction phenomenon. Correct. I've seen a few, I've seen some case studies of people describing what they experience. And let me tell you that for someone who has a background in studying, uh, for example, ancient alchemy, of studying the medieval period, of studying demonology. Yes. I will tell you that these cases sound a good deal to me like classic instances of possession. Um, these people have sleep, sleep paralysis. Sleep paralysis, uh-huh. Mm, they see entities in, in the room with them sometimes, not always. Um, sometimes they feel like they've gone somewhere. These are all traits of the phenomenon of uh of demonic attack as as it was recorded in the classical period there are even classic paintings depicting this phenomenon where you can see people being attacked in their bed in their bedrooms by evil entities and this is the type of of evidence that someone really needs to investigate i don't know who that investigator is it may be someone who listens to this but trust me when i say that there is no mystery that, that you can't find something out about if you just dedicate yourself to it enough. Oh, yeah. I wasn't expecting that, which is good. Well, we've actually done some some articles, and you can read these on our website, going into the whole history of ancient astronaut theory. Uh, and and Zachariah Sishin and different people who have, they claim that their information is coming from ancient cuneiform Sumerian texts. Right. However, we've investigated the entire corpus of the Sumerian text for a book that we're planning to put out in the future about ancient Babylon, and there is no reference to any of the stories that appear in Zachariah Sitchin's works in the actual cuneiform. Yeah, that's one of the criticisms he does receive online and other published work that Sitchin was wrong. Yeah, I think Dr. Michael Heiser has done some great work um, talking about what the cuneiform says and what it does not say. Um, one of the interesting finds that we made, because we tend to keep most of our research pretty academic, um, but one of the interesting finds that we made was that Linguistic scholars and writing experts and archaeologists who study the, the East and Mesopotamia have for several decades now been suggesting that the Anunnaki, the Sumerian beings in the Sumerian literature that uh, Sitchin suggested were mankind's creators, right. they're finding now more and more evidence 
including some from a very, very ancient form of the Epic of Gilgamesh, that these beings were actually the equivalent of the biblical Nephilim. Um, there's even a form of the Epic of Gilgamesh that places the home of the Anunnaki at Mount Hermon on the, uh, on the border with Israel, which is the same location that several apocryphal books place the descent of fallen angels to take wives with human women. So that mythic motif itself is today undergoing sort of a transformation in how it's perceived in northern Mesopotamian and Near Eastern mythology. Yeah, the Book of Enoch mentions uh, giants. These texts, they all have uh, giants in them, and Greek mythology has giants in them. What exactly is that? Why is there so many stories out there with giants in them? Well, first of all, just because a gigantic skeleton is found somewhere does not mean that it's the Nephilim. And there's not a lot that I can say about it yet because it's still some time before we publish it. But in our second book, we're going to reveal the what we feel is the proof that the North American giants from the cultures that we've written about in Ages of the Giants are not the biblical Nephilim. But that does not mean that the biblical Nephilim do not exist somewhere. Um, one reason that we see so many references to giants yes. in ancient texts and mythology could be uh, because there's an aspect to our own anthropology that's been lost because of the way that we've corrupted how we live. One of the things that people usually fail to consider is the impact of our way of life on our genetic development uh, throughout the course of our life. We know that, for instance, uh, until the up until the Roman occupation of Western Europe, there were still giants among the Celts. And the Roman generals who fought the wars against the Celtic people recorded their battles with people of incredible stature among the Celts. And some of these people were actually taken prisoner and made the bodyguards of the Roman emperors. They were bred down through the generations to produce the bodyguards of the Roman emperors for, for several centuries, actually. And so... With the rise of the Roman Empire, we see this physical type begin to disappear from Western Europe. And then with the European colonization, the earliest Europeans here in the United States actually encountered the living descendants of the ancient giants. They wrote, they wrote about in their travels and in their chronicles the extremely tall people, powerfully built people they encountered here in North America – but then shortly after European colonization, it seems to disappear from the United States. So perhaps, and this is just an idea, but perhaps there is a way of living in this world that allows for optimal genetic expression. And perhaps in Western society today, we have forgotten it. What's your opinion on Bigfoot? Well, it comes from several First Nations traditions, uh, um, people usually want to know if it has any connection to the tall ones as we study them, but I do not believe that it does, simply because the Bigfoot mythology that we have today tells us about an elusive creature that people can't even snap a Polaroid of, whereas the large skeletons from ancient North America were human beings who lived with other human beings. They had um, husbands, wives, children. They're, they're buried in tombs with artifacts that people use for hunting, for ritual, for religion. So, in my opinion, there's no real connection between what people refer to as Bigfoot and the tall ones. I'm not really on board with Bigfoot nowadays. i got to be honest with you. Well, I'm not either, and it's I'm not going to degrade it because oh, I don't want not. to discourage discourage people who have an open mind. Yeah. Um, if you know, if someone does believe in it and they want to pursue that, then you know, usually pursuing any subject, the journey itself is the goal. So, yeah, I I don't um, I don't put much credit. You don't in subscribe it to it. Yes, I, I'm with you on that one as well. And do you yeah. believe? By the way, that there seems to be, well, depending on who you ask, 
uh, major suppression by uh, the Smithsonian. Well, the Smithsonian has been described in several in several sources as the primary uh, influence in covering up information like uh, like I've been talking about with the tall ones. But that's that's not entirely the case. What occurred is throughout the late 1800s, the agents of the Smithsonian were sent into the Ohio River Valley by the Smithsonian through an order of Congress to excavate the burial mounds. And the purpose was to determine who built the mounds. There was no controversy on the tall ones. The settlers had found them. The land developers in the Ohio Valley had found them when they were building their farms. It was well established that they existed. No one doubted they existed at this time period, actually. And then in the 1880s, the Smithsonian excavated and reported in their official white papers the discovery of skeletons seven and eight feet in length from the Ohio Valley Mounds. And these were skeletons from the Adena and Hopewell Mounds. And in the Great South, they discovered equally large skeletons in the mounds of the Mississippian culture, which dates to between 1000 A.D. and 1600 A.D. But then something happened in the early 1900s that changed everything. And that something was an anthropologist named Ailes Herdlichka. In 19, Ailes Herdlichka became the curator of the Museum of anthropology at the Smithsonian. And Herdlichka was the first true giant's denier. Anytime Herdlichka gave an interview to the press, for example, he would attack people who believed that the Smithsonian had ever discovered large skeletons. Um, in his own papers discussing anthropology, he usually left comments uh, in the footnotes attacking anyone who believed that the Smithsonian ever found large skeletons. And it was under Herdlichka's reign of the Department of Anthropology that the Smithsonian enacted its official policy of denial, which is still in place to this day. And what's really interesting about this is even during this time, in fact, all the way up to the 1950s, the Smithsonian archived files report skeletons this large found by Smithsonian agents. So even as this policy was enacted, the agents of the Smithsonian were still finding the large skeletons. So the key to understanding all of this, and there's an entire postscript in the book about this, lies in the fact that Ailes Herdlichka was a member of the American Eugenics Society. Are you familiar with the American Eugenics Society? Correct. I, I just wasn't aware that these people were aligned to such groups as we talked about uh, early on in the interview. My goodness. Yes. Um, for, for anyone who doesn't know, I'll just briefly note this because I feel like it's, it's very important yeah. to, Go ahead. to bring, light, bring light to this subject whenever we can. You know, the, the scriptures tell us good deeds are done in the light. Well, the American Eugenics Society was funded by the Rockefeller, Carnegie, and Harriman families, and the society sought the eradication of the poor minorities and essentially all bloodlines in the United States that were not of Nordic or Anglo-Saxon descent. And this program called for the elimination of all Native Americans, African Americans, Jews, Hispanics, and even Caucasians who were Southern Italian or Eastern European. Um, now, by the early 1900s, the ambitions of the society had targeted over 14 million Americans for elimination. And in order to justify this agenda, the American Eugenics Society employed anthropologists. And these anthropologists all worked for the American Association for the Advancement of Science and the Smithsonian Institution. And their purpose was to categorize all human beings into a racial hierarchy of inferior at the bottom and master race at the top. And this is the role that Herdlichka played at the Department of Anthropology at the Smithsonian. 
Now, the public, the American public, actually accepted eugenics wholesale, um, and this led to the emergence of a period in American history in which over 60,000 people in 27 U.S. states were legally sterilized. Uh, some medical institutions uh, practiced lethal neglect against people that were considered genetic barrier. For example, the Institute for the Feeble-Minded in Lincoln, Illinois, fed their patients milk taken from a herd of cattle infected with tuberculosis, which increased mortality rates by 40%. And by 1911, the Carnegie Institute, the American Breeders Association, and the U.S. Department of Agriculture were working on plans to create lethal gas chambers in public to painlessly eliminate individuals deemed unworthy of life. So one of the reasons for Ailes Herdlichka to institute a policy of denial of, a, of an anthropologically superior type of person in the ancestry of Native Americans would have been to preserve the racial hierarchy that the American Eugenics Society was, was cataloging every type of human being into in the early 1900s. This was a very important aspect of the religion of eugenics, and it may sound insane to us today, but the point is this is what very powerful people actually believed at the turn of the last century. That's very true. These are very much darker chapters in our history. Well, you know, a lot of people today believe that we're struggling to, to have some type of awakening and stop something, to stop something called the New World Order. Correct. But the New World Order is something that already happened. We're just waking up from it now. And it was created by the American Eugenics Society. What many people may not realize is that eugenics itself is a very ancient belief system. And if you were to go and look at the writings of all of the most prominent eugenicists of the 1800s and 1900s, people like Madison Grant, Houston Stewart Chamberlain, you will find and I know this because we quoted their own writings in our book, right. you will find that you'll find that these people believed universally down to the last person that their own ancestors were ancient giants. But yes, going back to eugenics, very scary, the horrifying American roots of uh, the Nazis. Well, the, the Nazi institutions, um, all of the laboratories that were doing the research on scientific racialism in Germany for the for the, the Nazi party were financed by the Rockefeller family. That's in correct. fact, during the mm -hmm, during the depression in Germany, Rockefeller paid the electric bills for all these places to keep them open in Germany. And a lot of the most horrific experiments of the Nazi doctors were done at the specific request of the Rockefeller Foundation in the United States. There never really was any differentiation between American and European eugenics. They were born together and, um, and they died together. There's no divorce between the American industrial class that happens in history and the eugenics as they were practiced in Europe. I'm glad you're also very interested in politics and, of course, what's going on around the world. And uh, here in our own nation, lots of um, bad news to go around the past couple of weeks. Um, what's your opinion on all the chaos that we're seeing glued on our television screens? I believe that it's exactly what you just said it was. It's chaos glued oh, yeah. onto a television screen, mm -hmm. and whether it's real or not, it's there to cause chaos. It's there to cause distress and fear and anxiety. It's there to cause people who should know better to give up their freedoms. It's there to make sure that the human spirit remains quenched in a country which was built on dreams and... In my opinion, we should all turn it off and walk away from it. The constant barrage of media that our technology has made possible today has created a type of a spell or a trance where there's no escape.
from hearing about some crisis that's happening somewhere in the world. And it doesn't help matters at all that the once independent alternative media has now been sucked back into the two-party paradigm. I remember many years ago, if you were an awakened individual in the United States, if you knew anything about the truth and you were a Democrat or Republican, that was considered a, a real shame. And today we're all slowly becoming Democrats and Republicans again. We oh, need yeah. to stop we need to stop being Democrats and Republicans and being independent beings again. These parties can only exist to destroy us. Yeah, and I've said this countless times on this program that this two party system is driving us into the ground every day. The two party system is really no different than professional wrestling. <laughs> yes. You could learn more about American politics by reading a memoir from a professional wrestler from the 1990s than anything you'll see on CNN or Fox. The um, the fact is that, that you are either the type of person who understands that the United States has been transformed into a, a, a mass audience. Oh, yeah. Bit of a circus. Or, right. A circus, precisely. A circus is exactly what it is. And... It's incredible because if you do a lot of archival research, as we do, you know, going through old town histories and county histories, even reading archaeological books that right. come from the 50s or 60s, you get a sense of how America was at that time by the comments that people make. And to think that a country with a heritage as potent with potential as this one's has now become essentially a drone controlled by something as amoral and wicked as Hollywood, just boggles the mind. I would advise anyone to let entertainment decrease in your life and let learning increase. Let the crowd melt away and let the individual arise. Yeah, you can't escape the news. But it, it's always a good idea to try to for some time. You'll be feeling a lot better. And uh, speaking of news and Ohio, a seventh grader just shot himself not so long ago in a bathroom. That is terrible. Well, if anyone in Washington really wanted to stop the violence, and we always hear about the school violence, but the violence is happening outside of school. Also. I agree. It's happening everywhere. It's happening everywhere, correct. If if anyone in Washington was serious about stopping the violence, they would stop the psychotropic drug supply. If we would cut off the medications, if they would cut off the sorcery that's coming through the prescription pills and the pharmaceuticals in the United States, it would do the country a great service, and you would see a lot of the evils we're witnessing today begin to vanish. Yeah, you know, you're right about that. A lot of these shooters, they all had that in common. They were all under uh, heavy medication uh, pharmaceuticals. Well, going back to the classical period, uh, I'll just say Lord of the Rings is not a representation of ancient magic. Ancient magic is explained in, uh, it's actually in the New Testament of, of the of the Bible. The word that is interpreted in English as sorcery in the New Testament is actually pharmakia, which means to bewitch people with drugs. So today the sorcerers are the owners of pharmaceutical companies and the drug reps are the ones who are doing their dirty work and we are all of us bewitched by the spells that they weave. Oh yes, Big Pharma has their hand in everything nowadays. It's pretty awful. Even uh, medical marijuana now is starting to get that sort of treatment. Uh, I'm here in California where it's legal. I'm not exactly sure what the law is in your state, but you have these uh, third parties trying to get involved now with the pure medical scene, and they want to pump chemicals into it uh, by Monsanto. Well, you know, I actually have a lot of respect for California in a lot of ways because at the very least the people in California will stand up for what they believe in. I just personally would like to see them more awakened to what the real threats are um, because Monsanto is a monstrous corporation. 
if you are smoking, eating, or otherwise ingesting anything that has anything to do with Monsanto, you should stop right away. Definitely don't want anything from them inside your system, that's for sure. And we definitely are running a little late here, and I, I do want to thank you very much for being a part of the program. Don't want to take up too much of your time, and uh, it's been a, a great interview. I've been uh, just fascinated with 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 these uh, topics of giants and uh, human origins. It seems like a lot of what we talked about tonight is very underappreciated. Well, uh, it, it is underappreciated, but that's only because the the public educational system does not teach people about these topics. I believe that if they were at least mentioned more often in the public venue, there would be entire fields of study emerging around these subjects. Good point. I agree with you on that one. And uh, go ahead and uh, plug your website, Jason. Okay, our website is paradigmcollision.com. I feel like there's a lot that we, we could talk about aside from that here on the program. Oh, certainly. I'm always up for any intelligent discussion. Um, it's how you keep your mind sharp. And unless we dialogue about the issues that we have in our world today, we can never see any of them resolved. Amen to that. But yeah, we'll, we'll definitely bring you back on here and we'll do it again in the near future, my friend. Great. Well, thank you for your time. All right. You too. Thank you. If you're listening to this on a replay, keep in mind you can listen every Saturday night at 8 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 11 p.m. Eastern Time on the TuneIn Radio app or on YouTube. Just search in the days and you'll find the channel. If you enjoyed this program and want to help fund this project, go to michaeldeacon.com and click the Donate button. This program completely depends on its listeners. That means you sitting there listening. I'm Michael Deacon. Thank you for listening. And with that said, the world's a mysterious place. And life itself is a mystery. Until next time, good night, everybody. I could tell that all the mainstream media outlets were giving me like bullshit. Like you can just see it. It's clear. <laughs> How appropriate. I wish I could be in that ring with Holden right now. Maybe I had no idea this shit existed before 726. Oh, Granny. I like Granny. I'm going to keep it real. A lot of good content. A lot of, a lot of cool topics. You know, I, I feel, you know, fortunate to have an opportunity to speak to you guys tonight. You guys are really big. Yeah, Mr. Rusev. That son of a bitch. I, I like that, man. Oh, well. Just for what it's worth, I want to put in my two cents to tell you both that you have one of the most incredibly well-rounded shows. Guess what?